Let us pray. Heavenly Father, form in us the hearts of disciples, that following in the footsteps of your Son, Jesus Christ, we may walk the way of a good life. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The question of what a good life is has been one which humanity has wrestled with for a long, long time. Starting closer to home, if you believe Hollywood, the good life might be something like making lots of money and getting a nice house and a good car and a beautiful wife, or perhaps something less savory than that. I think perhaps action movies, of all things, might get the closest to what a good life is because so often in those, care, in those movies, someone realizes that laying down his own life for goodness and truth is worthwhile. Philosophy also attempts to answer this question, as does the American dream with the, the dream of the white picket fence and 2.8 kids and a dog and all of that. Philosophy, again, and tries to answer this question, and if you look at various philosophical answers, you'll find dozens of different attempts to suce out what the good life is. St. Peter today quotes from Psalm 37 and writes, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Here, St. Peter starts to finish out what was his household code for the Christian family. We've, of course, worked our way through how we react to leaders in the world. Then we talked about what our role with those who are over us, if they were servants, and where, how men and women interact. Finally, he gets to this point where he says, all of you. In other words, each and every one of you. This is your code. But before we dive in, I want to point out something really important. And that's the question of where this is in the redemptive arc. And that's a really good question to ask as we read through scripture is, is where are these commands happening? Are they part of the law, which says to us that shows us what we were designed to be and yet our failure to keep it? Do they show Christ's life and the perfect fulfillment of that law? Are they of Christ's death and resurrection? And what that death and resurrection means for us? Or are they the things that we do as we live in the resurrected Christ? This is an important question to kind of keep in mind in our own study, but also this morning. Because if we get it backwards, all of a sudden we're trying to earn Christ's love. But if we understand this properly as how we are sanctified, what we are building up into by the grace of Christ and in his Holy Spirit, then this gives us a clear idea of who we are to be in Christ. In other words, what St. Peter is telling us is since we are in Christ, this is who Christ is is forming us into. And the first two verses give us a sort of landing point 
Tell us how we are to act together and tell us how we are to act to the world who may not treat us quite as we wish it would. The first verse, one, one commentator called a five-finger approach to life together. That is, we are to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Unity of mind speaks not necessarily of always agreeing on every single issue, but walking away together. One of my favorite models for vestry, and I've, I've tried to at least institute it here as well as I'm able to, was, was from a dear friend back east. And his model was they'd talk about whatever they were supposed to figure out, and they'd talk, and they'd wait, until they all could agree on what the solution is. Because they didn't all always agree on what the right solution was, but they realized that they had to have a oneness of mind when they came together. But this oneness of mind isn't just a political thing or keeping of the peace. It's a striving to have Christ's mind. The unity of mind stems out of a desire to do the will of God and be submissive to him. Sympathy similarly stems out of this desire to be like Christ, because ultimately we are reminded when we read the book of Hebrews that we have a great high priest not one who's far off, but one that can sympathize with us and all our needs. And likewise, we are to be sympathetic to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to be ready to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Brotherly love reminds us of our adoption into Christ, that he has adopted us so that we can call God our Father. But not only that, that now each and every one of us are brothers and sisters in him. That we share the same Heavenly Father. A tender heart, or perhaps more, more noticeably or, or more understandably translated, a compassionate heart, is that we receive compassion freely from Christ. And likewise, we give it to one another freely and a humble mind. As many of you know, I spent about eight years in, in the biotech world. And for the first four or so of those years, I was at a, a little hub for biotech research. And they would bring in various researchers that would tell us about their research and these neat things that they're discovering. And one of the most interesting things that I noticed wasn't about like the latest breaking discovery in neuroscience or anything like that, although that was often quite interesting. It was that the difference between those people who came or were in the audience that were really smart and the brilliant ones was noticeable. Because the really smart people knew how much they knew. The brilliant people knew how little they knew. The brilliant people realized that the world was filled with knowledge and wisdom that we were to grow in. And so they had a humble mind. Likewise, we are called to have a humble mind, called to not assume that we know every single answer, but called to go to Christ in prayer. Our call, therefore, is that we have that unity of mind, sympathy towards one another, brotherly love, a tender heart towards one another, and a humble mind. 
But then St. Peter changes the focus to those who might do us evil and those who might revile us. For he says, do not repay evil with evil or reviling with reviling, but on the contrary, bless those who you were called. For, you, for through this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Peter and Christ and the all of the gospel calls us to a radical forgiveness. Now this might seem hard or difficult, and you might be thinking, well, but you don't know what this person has done or what that person has said to me. But we are called to this radical forgiveness because how deeply we have been forgiven. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of three examples of it. First, I don't know if you remember it, but some time ago, a man went into a black church, sat through their Bible study, and then killed most of them. It was heartbreaking. But one of the most interesting things as a Christian was to watch each and every one of their family members get up and talk to this young man for the evil that he had done, and then tell him that they forgave him. Similarly, one of the women who testified after the Larry Nasser case, her name was Rachel Den Hollander, and her husband is a theologian as well as she's fairly well trained as well. She got up and talked about her experience because of what that man had done to her. And she said to him, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. The final story was of a Southeast Asian pastor, and I can't remember where I read the story, but I read it recently, and his town got overtaken by communists. And as the overtaking happened, his daughter was murdered. And after everything calmed down and the communists were pushed back, he, they found out who had killed his daughter, and it was a young man from his town. And instead of wanting him to be killed likewise, he pled with the judge that he could adopt them, adopt this young man. Perhaps that's the most radical vision of forgiveness that I might mention today. Forgiveness is not about saying what you did was okay. We see this especially with the example from Rachel Den Hallander. But forgiveness is letting go of that torture and that torment which the person has done and allowing God to heal you. Perhaps you're saying again, but you don't know how much I hurt. And you're probably right. But God knows. And that's where the answer of how we do this comes in. Prayer. Prayer will guide us. Prayer will heal us. In fact, one of my favorite examples of this comes from C.S. Lewis as he writes about his struggle to forgive, which took him 20 years. But he prayed day in and day out that he would forgive this person. I have a similar story, although it didn't take me 20 years, but I find from time to time there's somebody that hurt me quite a bit, and I have to bring it back to the Lord in prayer as I grow angry with this person. Praying to forgive works. Praying is a, or forgiveness 
benefits us in a very real way. And we've known this as Christians for 2,000 years, and of course now secular theories are slowly catching up. I preached about this about a year ago, and I think it was received okay. But about a week or two later, an article popped up on NPR about forgiveness. And one of their experts on it said, the expanded version of forgiveness that I love to teach is a deep soul level letting go of our pain, our sorrow, and our suffering. And that we do this because we want to be free. We do that because we want to be healthy and we want to have peace of mind. Of course, Christ knew the benefit of forgiving our enemies far before research did because, well, he was God. But we are now seeing that there are, in fact, benefits to it, which we knew all along. But another deeper reason to forgive is kind of, again, what that young woman touched on, is that when we see the depth and breadth of our sin and the pain that we've caused, and yet the fact that Christ forgave us, that Christ knowing knowing the wickedness in our own hearts went to the cross to die for us. Why wouldn't we forgive? The blessing is growing in Christ-likeness and knowing God. The blessing of doing this thing where we do not repay that evil which we experience or revile when we are reviled is that we bless those who do not know any better. And in doing so, we follow in the way of Christ. St. Peter then turns to Psalm 34 to drive home his point. And it's really fascinating to read a little bit about Psalm 34 because the context is that David is praying to God and praising God in a cave as he hides from King Saul. He's hiding for his life and yet he praises God. Would we do this? But the psalm itself points us to something even deeper than David's faithfulness. It points us to Christ and that Christ leads our way. As we read through it, we can't help but see Christ because we see that he never spoke, kept, never had a tongue of evil. He kept his lips from seeking deceit. He never turned to evil, but always did good. And let him seek, and he sought peace. Christ spoke about how the peacemakers are the blessed ones and called us to be likewise, called us to follow after him. But then the psalm makes another turn and says, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. By following in Christ, we are able to pray with an earnest heart, and the Lord delights in those prayers. And it finishes, The face of the Lord is against those that do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so as we go through this practice of learning to live with one another, learning to forgive even those things that are hard to forgive, praying that those who have done wickedness to us might repent, we're reminded that finally the judgment of the world is in the Lord's hand. The Lord will do what he thinks is right, and that is our hope and promise. My friends, Christ 
has radically changed our lives. We are invited to live in his grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you accept this invitation to be his disciple? Will you accept this invitation to love your brothers and sisters in Christ well and to radical forgiveness? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.